This is a CCRI radio podcast. New content every week from students at the Community College of Rhode Island. Listen, watch, read, and get involved at ccri.edu slash studentmedia. Thank you for tuning in today, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. I'm Josh Lizell, and this is the show Hold That Out. We are coming to you, as always, from the Bobby Hackett Theater on the night campus of CCRI. Be sure to check out this show and other podcasts and content from the students of CCRI by visiting www.ccri.edu backslash radio backslash podcasts. Be sure to also listen to episodes by going on Google Podcasts and Radio Public. There is quite a bit to unpack today. Some interesting, some strange, some upsetting on a lot of different levels, but we'll get into that as the show goes on. Today we will be discussing Derek Carr finding his new home in New Orleans with the Saints, the pros and cons of that, the Ja Morant situation, what the NBA and the Grizzlies should do, Aaron Rodgers and the talks of being traded to the New York Jets, and Philip Rivers, former NFL quarterback, almost coming out of retirement, and who exactly was interested. Like I said, there's a lot to go over, so let's get into it. So, as most of us are aware, former Raiders quarterback Derek Carr was on the market for a very long time. Teams such as New Orleans, the New York Jets, Carolina, were some of the teams that were in contact with his agent, in which Derek himself met with the owners respectively. My takeaway was he should try to force his way to New York to play with the Giants. Um, Offensive-minded coach Brian Dable, rock star head coach... Uh, defense that's trending upwards, Saquon Barkley. That that was my initial thought when I was thinking of different teams that would make sense. But then yesterday it was confirmed, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, Tom Palisaro, and other accredited reporters broke the story. New Orleans is taking Carr. They reworked his contract to bring down the cap hit, and it appears the Saints have found their replacement under center in the post-Drew Brees era. So, like in most situations in life, there are pros and cons. Say, for example, if you buy a house at a reasonable price, you may have to work on the basement. You might live close to a highway or a busy main road, or you don't have the ideal amount of space that you would like. But the taxes might be reasonable, The crime rate is slow. You might get peace and privacy from your neighbors. So you have to find the balance or the median, if you will, between situations such as that. Let's look at the cons. A few weeks back, I had stated I wasn't crazy about Dennis Allen as a head coach. A defensive coordinator, he's solid. I don't trust him as a head coach. Also, Michael Thomas... Star wide receiver, has been injury prone for the last two seasons. Also, he will be hitting free agency within the next few weeks, which in theory, if he were to leave, would leave you with a second year receiver, Chris Olave, with huge upside, however, is still unproven. Jarvis Landry, who is aging, and Alvin Kamara, who may miss a chunk of the season, if not the whole season, dealing with a lawsuit for an off the field altercation. 
Not to mention you downgrade at left tackle. Also, the cap situation isn't great. And they're thin on draft capital after this year's draft. So there are concerns that I do have with Derek Carr going to the Saints. However, there are some pros. Let's get into those. Great owner, great GM. They draft and develop very well. A solid offensive coordinator, Pete Carmichael. They play in a dome, and they also play in warm weather with the division that they're in. So very much like when Tom Brady left the Patriots and went down to Tampa Bay, Tampa either plays in a dome or in warm weather, being in the same division, which beats playing in Mile High Stadium in Denver, like the second week of December. Same thing with Kansas City, right? Also, every team in the NFC South is basically in a rebuild. Atlanta's rebuilding, Carolina's rebuilding, Tom Brady just retired, Tampa Bay is rebuilding. Also, the defense is excellent. They don't have to win every single game in a shootout, and they don't have to put unnecessary pressure on the offensive side of the ball. And also, the NFC is essentially wide open. Right? Like, we don't know where Aaron Rodgers is going to go. San Francisco has no clue what they're going to do at quarterback. The Cowboys might slightly regress due to the fact that they now have to pay Dak Prescott a fortune, right? They just had to franchise tag Tony Pollard. They're not sure if they're going to be able to keep Dalton Schultz. The Vikings might pull back. We don't know if they're going to be able to build up their defense or not, which was bottom five in the league. And... As much as I like Jalen Hurts and as much as I think Philly was a great team last year, we're not sure like what they're going to do in free agency with their aging players and contracts coming up. I believe off the top of my head, they have somewhere around 13 free agents. Opposed to being in the AFC with Mahomes and Burrow and Herbert and Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence is emerging and we're not sure if... Regardless if Lamar Jackson stays in Baltimore, we don't know if he stays in the AFC or not. Also, Sean Payton just went out to Denver. Will they be a playoff team? I'm not 100% sure. But I can almost promise you that they're not going to look nearly as bad as what they did last year. So, like every team, I want to see how the draft, free agency... And the scheduling pans out before I do my division and conference predictions. But from a bird's eye view, this looks like a pretty competitive team. How competitive? I'm not sure. But with all the pros, this looks like it's trending upwards. The cons could come back and haunt them, which could give them a ceiling. But it makes sense to make this move. Jameis Winston, Trevor Semyon, Andy Dalton, Taysom Hill... They weren't the answer. They weren't and they're not. If New Orleans saw something in Taysom Hill, he would be playing. It's been long enough. He's a gadget guy. And there's nothing wrong with that because he is productive, hence why he's been there as long as he has. However, a gadget guy is not a franchise quarterback. Right? So, it's a very interesting move. Not to mention... In this year's draft, 
New Orleans has the 29th overall pick in the first round. Do they go with an offensive lineman? Do they go for another wide receiver? Like, do they potentially move up and possibly grab the wide receiver Mario Addison from USC? Do they go get the tackle from Ohio State? So it is very, 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 very interesting. We're not sure what's going to happen with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, what they're going to do in the draft. However, it does show a lot of clarity in the sense that if you're going to be this far behind in the cap, you might as well do what you can while you still have this roster. Because the team is still pretty competitive. Granted, they haven't had a franchise quarterback. They still have somehow managed to be relevant and competitive. So I get it. While you're paying everybody and while you still have the talent, you might as well just try to make one final push. If it works, then it works. If it don't, then you at least went out with a fight. But considering how wide open the NFC is, how low the NFC South is, they were able to rework his deal. They were able to alleviate pressure off of their cap situation. I say you go for it. Because it's not guaranteed that you're going to go get one of the star quarterbacks next year. In fact, you're not sure how long it will be before you ever even get one, period. He's relatively young. He's experienced. He has a fresh new start. And also not to mention, he also has a chip on his shoulder. He got doubted in college. He fell out the first round. And then he got humiliated by his former team. New Orleans has presented a lot of clarity. Derek's former team, Las Vegas, I'm still not really sure what they're trying to do. Okay, so now let's dive into John Morant. This has been up on almost every platform possible, so without being long-winded, the details are online. Um, It was reported yesterday by ESPN's Ramona Shelbourne and Liz Morell that Colorado police are now investigating Memphis Grizzlies star John Morant for an altercation involving a gun. Oh boy, okay. So, my first initial thought, which should have been everybody's thought, was this dude can't play. I'm not sure really if he's ever going to again. But I'm sure that there's somebody out there that will somehow try to justify his actions. I'm not sure how, but I don't put anything past me at this point in life. (sighs) We have an issue that is growing in America, but remains the elephant in the room. That mainstream music is negatively influencing the youth. Now, I know that this has been a thing for, you could argue, quite a long time. I wouldn't disagree with you. However, I could also make the argument and the claim that with social media imploding, that it has gotten worse with time. John Morant came from 
a good home in a good neighborhood and went to a good school and came from a good family. Yet here he is influenced by the music that is out to pretend to be something that he's not without him also keeping in mind that he as well as many other people are looked up to by the younger crowd in which they watch your actions right like they 100% watch almost everything you, you do young people do that with everything movie stars athletes musicians you can keep going down the list people look at what you wear where you like to eat what you like to listen to where you like to vacation things that may have given you your drive at whatever industry that you may be in there is no doubt that there was a young kid out there that saw what John Morant did and doesn't have the same ordinance or structure that Ja had in his life. And that that poor kid doesn't know any better. It's not his fault. He's young. We were all young at one point. But with that said, not everybody comes from the same situation that Ja Morant came from. How do you think that's going to land? I know that Ja issued an apology, but the damage has been done. There is 100% no unseeing what he did. Not to mention the altercation with the 17-year-old kid. I can see this situation unfolding like Deshaun Watson in the NFL, where he is suspended until further notice, which would, I would guess at some point, wear out Memphis in the front office and they would try to move off him which quite honestly that's what I would do right now but that's just me this could take years if ever again where you see John Morant on an NBA floor I can't see him walking away from this without more than a slap on the wrist if so the NBA is putting themselves at risk because the NBA is not the NFL. It's not. The NFL is the driving force of this country's entertainment when it comes to sports. The NFL, though they can be corrupt, actually they are corrupt, the NFL can afford to take their lumps. They always seem to bounce back. The NBA is different. They don't generate the same amount of money. So something like this on top of the load management issue, on top of the officiating issue, the NBA needs to cover their ass on this one. They should have suspended him indefinitely from the start. Not two games, then go back and change it. Like, we're all adults, guys, so let's get it right. There's only going to be more information on this story as it progresses. But if I was Adam Silver... I would look at how the NFL has handled things in the past, which, not great. I wouldn't copy. Because we all know this situation is going to get worse before it gets resolved. And if it reaches a point where legal teams from both parties get involved, that's when this situation could get worse before it even becomes even close to getting better.
So the NBA, they need to act on the fly because right now they not only have one serious situation on their hands, they have quite a few. A wise man once said to me, if you play stupid games, you're going to get a stupid prize. Okay, let's now talk Aaron Rodgers. So, as much as he drives me nuts, there is absolutely no denying that he is a certified first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback, right? There is no denying his talent, um, the success that he has had. He's won four league MVPs. He's won a Super Bowl, right? Like, not going to take that away from him, right? However, as he has aged, his personality has slowly started to unravel in terms of being rigid, uh, not really being that much of a communicator. Things tend to be on his time, uh, pretty passive aggressive when it comes to taking responsibility on things that are essentially his responsibility. Like a few weeks ago, he had made a comment essentially calling out his head coach. He's taken shots at his front office. If you ask me, not necessarily the greatest PR move. However, as we have seen through time, Aaron's going to do what Aaron wants to do. From going to Hawaii with his friends, instead of reporting to training camp and building a repertoire with his teammates to hiding in strange parts of the Pacific Northwest in a 300-foot cave. Like, I, like it just there's so many things to me that just don't make any sense, right? So about four hours ago, ESPN's Dan Graziano has reported that the New York Jets have had conversations with the Green Bay Packers and with Aaron Rodgers this week regarding a potential trade So let me say this, similar to Derek Carr, I see a lot of pros and cons with Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. The pros being that they have a defense to compete right now. They have an excellent number one receiver, Garrett Wilson. Offensive line is good, not great, but it's, you know, you can work with it. They probably need to go out and spend some money on a left tackle. But aside from that, uh, I really like the kid, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, the interior offensive lineman they drafted out of USC a couple years ago. They have solid running backs. We're not sure how Miami or the Patriots are going to look this year with their current quarterback situations. And we also need to be honest about the Buffalo Bills. Like, they're a very talented group. Josh Allen easily is one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL, but Buffalo can't consistently run the ball. Josh Allen can be a little reckless at times, and I'm not saying that Sean McDermott is a bad coach, but you now start to question his in-game adjustments in tight situations. Like, he's a defensive-minded coach, and... Buffalo can't stop the run on defense to save their life. I mean, we all saw that playoff game. They got absolutely housed by the Bengals in their own stadium. 
Also, the Jets just recently hired Nathaniel Hackett, who was one of Aaron Rodgers' offensive coordinators while he was in Green Bay. So there is a familiar face if and when Aaron Rodgers were to go to that team. So defense, run game, weapons, we're not really too sure on the division. They also have a really, really good GM in Joe Douglas. So there are a few things that are trending upwards for Rodgers in the event he does go to the Jets. But then there are the cons. Would Aaron fully commit for an offseason to build a repertoire with Garrett Wilson, with Corey Davis, with Elijah Moore? Like, those guys are relatively young, okay? Like, it's no disrespect to those guys, but none of those guys are Devontae Adams, right? So it is imperative that if and when Rodgers goes to New York, that he reports to camp in all the offseason training sessions that he possibly can to make sure that come the first game of the season, this puppy can get rolling from day one. Also, you do have to factor and consider that Aaron Rodgers is basically 40 years old. He turns 39 this coming season. I'm not implying that I believe he has hit a cliff because I truthfully don't think that he has. But you do have to think about the fact that his age, he did drop in a lot of categories last year. Oh, well, Josh, that was because Devontae Adams left. Yeah, well, he's the one that also wanted the deal that he got. That sucked up a large chunk of the Packers cap money to not be able to keep Devontae. Which brings me to another point. What is going to be the deal breaker in terms of acquiring Aaron Rodgers? Is it going to be two first round picks? Is it going to be three? Is it going to be two ones and a two? Is it going to be a one, a two, and two threes? Like, how much cap draft capital is this going to break you for? Comparatively to what you may or may not get in return with his production. Also, this could be arguably on the top end of the list. The New York media. Keep in mind, Aaron has played in small town Green Bay, Wisconsin, in the Midwest his entire career. You're now going to go from that to not only the largest sports market in the country, you're going to the largest city arguably on the planet Earth, in which you are one of the biggest polarizing stars in one of the most polarizing forms of entertainment in the country. Can he handle that pressure? Can he handle the New York Times and the New York Post and New York Sports Radio? Because in this area, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, I refer to it as the Iron Triangle. It is hard. It is really, really hard to play in this area, given the fans and their expectations and how obnoxious they can be. It's a real thing. And then one of the last things that I have a concern with is that would Roger's personality be able to mesh with head coach Robert Sala, who I wouldn't personally say is on the hot seat because I feel like the Jets have gotten better each of the two years that he's been there. 
well, the first year was a disaster, but then last year they were definitely trending upwards. But it is fair to say that he does at some point have to start reeling in some W's and he's got to make a playoff appearance. But compare the two personalities. Rodgers, laid back, lacks urgency, passive-aggressive, not as committed. Salah is basically the opposite. He's younger, he's hungry, he has urgency, he has mental toughness that I feel very, very, very few coaches have. I mean, you could see it when he was the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. I mean, that group just looked absolutely unbelievable on that side of the ball. So you do have to question on whether or not they would be able to see eye to eye with each other. I mean, let's be fair here. Rodgers did not meet eye to eye with Mike McCarthy. Green Bay said, okay, we'll fix it. They bring in the floor. Everything's fine. It was like the honeymoon phase. Everything's good. And then things start to slowly unravel. And now Aaron is getting annoyed with the floor. So the point I'm trying to make here is that it would make sense for the Jets to go all in. However, what separates him from Carr is we obviously know the talent. Like, Aaron Rodgers is better than Derek Carr. Like, we obviously all know that, right? However, the thing that separates them is that you know Carr is all in. He's going to work hard. He's going he's gonna to try to get to know everybody in the building. He's going to build a chemistry and a camaraderie. With Aaron, you kind of have to question that. Is he going to be able to connect with the coach? Is he going to work with the younger players in the offseason? Like, it's a real thing, guys. Is he going to take shots at the owner? Is he going to take shots at the GM? And that's another thing. Aaron has never had an owner. Right? Like, he's never had an owner. Like, he's never had a Jerry Jones. He's never had a Robert Kraft. He's never had an Art Rooney II. He's never had a Jeffrey Lurie. So it's one thing to throw shots at the Packers because it's an ownership group. However, it's another thing when you have one individual guy that's cutting you your check and then you start to poke at him and then poke at his employees. So it's going to be interesting how this all unpacks. I mean, Aaron still has to come out and make a decision on in terms of whether he wants to retire or not. But if he decides to stay and he doesn't want to play for the Packers, it's going to be interesting how this all plays out. Because Rodgers going to the Jets, it's no longer a rumor or a thought. It's a real thing. At this point, it's just a matter of when the deal gets made and how much the asking price is for. And I would like to touch up on one last story for the day. Uh, This one was brought to my attention early this morning. According to Sean Keeley, an accredited reporter of the comeback, reported that Rich Eisen, host of the Rich Eisen Show, was at the draft combine this past week and heard the rumor that former NFL quarterback Phillip Rivers was in communications with San Francisco and Miami on a possible return. 
Now, it's obvious why Rivers would have been in talks with both of these teams. If you look at San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Trey Lance got hurt. Hell, I mean, the kid Brock Purdy got hurt against Philadelphia in the conference championship game. Then Josh Johnson got hurt. They were hiking the ball to Christian McCaffrey. And then in the situation with Miami, the unfortunate circumstance with Tua, you know, they drafted Skylar Thompson. Both these teams are in similar situations in the sense that their rosters look really, really good. However, there is a huge, huge pressing question mark at the quarterback position. So to add the context, I do want to remind people that this is a rumor, right? It is reported that it was talked about, but there is no confirmation that this actually had transpired, right? But let's think for a moment. What this is telling me is that both teams have put their writing on the wall. They need a quarterback. I mean, it is just plain and simple. They need a legitimate quarterback. And I'm not saying that Phillip Rivers would have necessarily filled that void. I mean, it would have been a solid option for a year, right? Two coaches that basically run the same system, that both have star left tackle, star receivers. So it's not like Phillip Rivers would have had to have walked in to either of those situations and he would have had to have saved the day, right? However, I do find it interesting that very shortly after the comments that Caleb Williams had made at the Super Bowl regarding Miami, and then a few weeks later, there's now this rumor about Phillip Rivers, and then there's speculation about whether or not Tua is going to be healthy or whether or not they're going to keep him long term. And then you look at the 49ers. They're moving off of Jimmy Garoppolo. They're not 100% sold on Trey Lance. They're not sure when Brock Purdy's going to play again. I mean, reports are saying that he'll be ready by September, but is that 100% accurate? What I'm reading from this is that Miami will be on the market for a quarterback. San Francisco is a little different because they're kind of stuck with Trey Lance, plus Brock Purdy's not going to be ready anyways, so it's not like they really have a choice. They, they basically have to play Trey Lance. Plus, I feel like that's not necessarily a bad thing because considering the amount of draft capital that you coughed up to get him, you need to have a definitive answer on whether or not he's going to be your guy. I mean, a handful of games, that shouldn't be the answer, right? 20-plus games, enough game film of reps and throws and him dissecting defenses, going on the road, playing in different weather. That should give you a better answer. But him just playing a few games, I understand the injury-prone stuff. I understand he's not aesthetically the best thrower when it comes to his mechanics. But, again, you're not going to have the definitive answer until you actually see him on full display. I've been saying this about Jordan Love for the longest time. I don't know why people are trying to say Jordan Love can't play when you haven't seen him enough to have a definitive answer, right? Guys like Jake Locker and Josh Rosen, 
that unfortunately is a different situation. Not to like completely like knock on these guys, but you could clearly see the ceiling with both of them very, 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 very early. Like, for example, Jake Locker had this monster, crazy arm strength. However, he lacked ball placement and mobility. Josh Rosen just looked timid. I didn't really like too much about him. So, again, like a lot of the other stories I had talked about today, that was pretty interesting. Do I see Phillip Rivers coming back to the NFL? Probably not. I know he's coaching a high school football team somewhere down in Alabama. But as far as San Francisco and the Dolphins go, everything about their teams look pretty good. However, the most important position, arguably, quarterback, is a pretty big question mark for both the groups. Right? Whereas San Francisco is a little tight on cap space, so they can't necessarily go out and sign somebody. In Miami, they have a decision to make with Tua. Do they throw him large money? Do they throw him a tag? Do they move, do they move off him? Do they try to gear up and try to get Caleb Williams? I'm not sure. However, one thing to me is certain, that the writing is on the wall for both of these teams. That they will both only go as far as the quarterbacks that they have. If their quarterbacks are limited, they're both limited teams. If they both have rock stars, guys that can make plays, then they'll be a viable group. San Francisco, regardless, will be a viable group. I mean, how many quarterbacks have they gone through in the past few years? And they still managed to win games. Now, granted, they have gotten riddled with injuries in the past few years. But again, John Lynch, the GM, Kyle Shanahan, the coach, veterans on both sides of the ball, they will remain viable as long as they are healthy. Miami is a little different, right? Because unlike the 49ers, Miami has to deal with a top five quarterback twice a year. Not to mention arguably the best defensive coach still in the sport twice a year. I mean, if we're being honest, Miami had Buffalo against the ropes with Skylar Thompson. Imagine if they had a B, B plus, or a guy of a higher grade. So like I had mentioned previously, this year's draft, I firmly believe, is going to influence next year's especially with the two potentially three-star quarterbacks that are coming out next year. Because we know Caleb, we know Drake May, and I really, really, really like the upside of the kid, K.J. Jefferson, who's the quarterback at Arkansas. Because both teams have a lot of thinking and a lot of decisions to make in terms of their future. Because both teams have spent a good amount of capital, they spent a good amount of money, they've hired the right coaches, they've drafted, for the most part, a lot of guys that have panned out, in Miami's case, the AFC is only getting stronger. So again, I find it intriguing that two teams that are really, really talented with two really good coaches that lack constant, consistent quarterback play, a rumor like this 
has now randomly swirled around. It's interesting. Is it true? I'm not sure. But nonetheless, it's a good thought. This is a CCRI radio podcast. New content every week from students at the Community College of Rhode Island. Listen, watch, read, and get involved at ccri.edu slash studentmedia.